This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Podcast is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Podcast. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy. And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to Episode 100, A 46-Year-Old Man with Vasculitis. Kathy, today's a really special day for Harrison's pod class, as you know. First of all, it's our 100th episode together. And second, we're thrilled to welcome the newest Harrison editor, Dr. Carol Langford, to discuss today's patient. So let me tell you about your patient. He's a 46-year-old man who six months ago presented to the hospital acutely with hemoptysis, diffuse nodular pulmonary infiltrates, and glomerulonephritis. Workup revealed a positive serologic study for antibodies against cytoplasmic antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, or ANCA, and he was eventually diagnosed with granulomatosis with polyangiitis. Treatment was initiated with high-dose glucocorticoids and daily cyclophosphamide with an excellent clinical response. You are ready today to have the patient transition from induction therapy with his rituximab to maintenance therapy with azathioprine. Which of the following blood tests would you check before starting azathioprine? Option A is ANCA titers, B, cryoglobulins, C, CYP3A4 genotyping, D, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase enzyme levels, or E, thiopurine methyltransferase enzyme activity? All right, well, the answer is E. So prior to initiation of azathioprine, thiopurine methyltransferase, an enzyme involved in the metabolism of azathioprine, should be assayed because inadequate levels may result in severe cytopenias. So you'll dose your drugs differently based on the results of that assay? Correct, and, and patients can certainly have significantly more toxicity. Okay, so we know the answer is E. What about the other answers? So ANCA titers can be misleading, that's option choice A, and should not be used to assess disease activity. Many patients who achieve remission continue to have elevated titers for years. Results from a large prospective study found that increases in ANCA were not associated with relapse, and that only 43% of patients relapsed within one year of an increase in ANCA levels. So a rise in ANCA by itself is not a harbinger of immediate disease relapse and should not lead to reinstitution or increase in immunosuppressive therapy. Okay, what about option C, which is CYP3A4, or option D, which is testing for the G6PD enzyme? CYP3A4 is one of the cytochrome uh, P450 enzymes, and it's important in drug metabolism. It's actually the enzyme that's inhibited by grapefruit juice. So while it's important for the metabolism of many drugs, azathioprine is not metabolized by that enzyme, so it's not relevant here. G6PD is an enzyme vital for stabilization of the red blood cell membrane, and its deficiency is the most common genetically transmitted enzyme deficiency. It's transmitted in an X-linked recessive fashion, so men are typically at risk. While most people are asymptomatic, certain foods, drugs, or conditions that provoke an oxidative stress can cause an acute hemolytic anemia in susceptible individuals. So notable among those are fava beans, anti-malarial drugs, sulfa drugs, and dapsone. Okay, great. And let's not forget about the cryoglobulins. Why are those not uh, relevant to this case? 
Cryoglobulins are cold, precipitable, monoclonal, or polyclonal immunoglobulins, and cryoglobulinemia may be associated with a systemic vasculitis, but it's not relevant to starting azathioprine. Okay, well, let's welcome Dr. Carol Langford from, to Harrison's pod class. Dr. Langford, before we start talking about this case, can you tell us a little bit about how you became the director of the Center for Vasculitis and Research at Cleveland Clinic, and how you became the newest editor of Harrison's? Well, thank you, Charlie and Kathy, for me being here today. Uh, it's a great pleasure. And first off, congratulations on the 100th episode of Pod Class. Um, I've had the pleasure of being engaged in the field of vasculitis for almost 30 years now and began my career uh, at the NIH uh, with Harrison's editor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And uh, in 2004, I moved to the Cleveland Clinic to become the director of the Center for Vasculitis Care and Research, where I work with a wonderful group of colleagues in advancing our mission in patient care, education, and research in vasculitis. Um, I've had the privilege of being involved with Harrison's uh, as Dr. Fauci's associate editor and uh, was thrilled to be um included as the member of the editor team for our upcoming uh, 22nd edition. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. So with this patient, do you agree with the treatment plan? And can you talk a little bit about the choice of maintenance therapy here? Yes. So when we talk about the treatment of ANCA-associated vasculitis, we think about this as having two phases induction where active disease is put into remission, followed by remission maintenance. When we consider the induction part of the equation, the decisions are based upon the degree of disease severity. And this is someone who presented with severe disease based upon the presence of pulmonary uh, disease with hemoptysis and features that may suggest alveolar hemorrhage as well as glomerulonephritis. And in that setting, the options would be uh, glucocorticoids combined with either rituximab or cyclophosphamide. As this was a young gentleman, uh, the choice of rituximab was made. Now, once they have improved and achieved remission, then the consideration is about maintenance agents. And there are a variety of options that we have, which include conventional therapies such as azathioprine, methotrexate, or mycophenolate, or rituximab. In randomized trial, rituximab has found to be associated with a lower rate of relapse compared with azathioprine, but it remains appropriate to still consider these options uh, as rituximab can have uh, other considerations, including hypogammaglobulinemia, and certainly more recently, the consideration of vaccine response. So in the case of this gentleman, he chose azathioprine, uh, which does remain a reasonable option. Hey, Dr. Langford, um, for many of us uh, who are not rheumatologists or vasculitis experts, sometimes ordering an ANCA is just uh, one of a large battery of things that we, that we order without really understanding it. Can you tell us a little bit, remind us a little bit more about what is ANCA and when we should use it, you know, kind of appropriately as a test? Yes. Yeah, so ANCA or antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies are one of our more recent serologic tests first described in the 1980s and found to be associated with vasculitis uh, towards the late 1980s and early 1990s. Now, these can be tested for by two different methodologies. Our immunofluorescence test, which provides either a cytoplasmic or C-ANCA or perinuclear or P-ANCA pattern, 
And then we can also test for antigen-specific uh, ELISA testing, looking for proteinase 3 or myeloperoxidase, which are the antigens associated with the vasculitic diseases. Now, certainly these have the best utility when we are using these in the setting of a patient where there is a suspicion of a small vessel vasculitis, such as, again, someone who presents uh, with pulmonary hemorrhage, glomerulonephritis, or other features that might suggest granulomatosis with polyangitis or microscopic polyangitis. And in the setting of those diseases, the frequency uh, may range as far as from 70 to 90 percent positivity. However, we do need to still keep in mind that ANCA can be negative in up to 20% of patients when they have early disease or more organ-isolated disease. So the absence of ANCA does not rule out the diagnosis. And similarly, a positive ANCA may not always confirm the diagnosis if we can see this in other settings as well. And you mentioned there that there are as there are a spectrum of diseases that are ANCA-associated. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? In the most recent nomenclature system, uh, the designation of ANCA-associated vasculitis was made, and within that family are considered uh, the entities of granulomatosis with polyangitis, microscopic polyangitis, and also eosinophilic granulomatosis or poly- and polyangitis, or formerly known as Chern-Strauss syndrome. Now, although these are all considered within this family, particularly in the case of eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangitis or EGPA, this is in fact ANCA associated in the minority of patients. So only about uh, 40% of patients will be ANCA positive, uh, with the most common being uh, myeloperoxidase positive P-ANCA. So again, that is something we need to keep in mind within this family. And then the treatment, are they all treated the same or do you approach the treatment differently based on the specific subtype? Yes, there do remain important differences uh, in terms of treatment for each of these diagnoses. Granulomatosis with polyangitis and microscopic polyangitis have a number of similarities, particularly when we're talking about severe disease where we would use similar uh, features in terms of, again, uh, glucocorticoids combined with rituximab or cyclophosphamide. There are some individual treatments that are used in granulomatosis with polyangitis, particularly in the case of sinonasal disease, uh, where local treatments uh, play a very important role and also in the setting of subglottic stenosis. Uh, but the most important difference would be in the case of EGPA, where the eosinophil plays a very prominent role and where we see a different range of disease manifestations, including asthmatic features, features of eosinophilic disease. And in that setting, uh, the role of the eosinophil and the use of therapies directed towards the eosinophil, uh, such as uh, anti-IL-5 uh, approaches, such as mepolizumab, play a more important role. Great. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Langford, and we'll look forward to uh, working with you and, and seeing you on some future uh, podcast episodes. The teaching point of this case is that autoimmune vasculitis, and in this case, granulomatosis with polyangitis, are complex diseases that can involve multiple organs. The treatment paradigm involves induction with aggressive therapy, and then if and when the patient responds, movement to a less intense uh, maintenance therapy. All of this really should be done uh, given the plethora of new drugs and, and uh, evolving studies 
All of this should likely be done in consultation with a vasculitis expert such as Dr. Langford. And you can learn more about this on the chapter on Ankyovasculitis. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Podcast. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text, Harrison's Review Questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.